Can anybody name that tune? Name that hymn? <laughs> Drinking at the springs of living water, right? I learned to play piano from my dad. I only took about a year's worth of lessons. And lest, you, lest that be like, whoa, I don't read piano music very well. So I play mostly by ear. Now I can read and write and arrange vocal music. I'm an instrumentalist as well. I play the brass family of instruments. I bottomed out on tuba as my main instrument. So I can tell people I actually play heavy metal. <laughs> Had to get another dad joke in, you know, somewhere in there, musical dad joke. Uh, and I've picked up saxophone as well. I do, I just, I love music, uh, and I grew up in a musician's home. In fact, I'm the oldest of five, and as we were growing up, my dad, who's a concert-level pianist, uh, he would play us to sleep each night uh, on the piano, and the piano, for much of my early years, was on the back side of the wall of my room, so I just really internalized my dad's style of playing, and so uh, I'll never forget the first time I heard Drinking at the Springs, he plays it a little bit differently than I do, because I don't have his concert level but he started in that minor key, right? It's kind of, there's a couple of those gospel songs that you kind of, if you think about the words, you're thinking, hmm, should I be happy at this point? You know, I was sinking deep in sin, right? Having a wonderful time till my roommate turned me in. He's no friend of mine. We would sing it that way in college, Bible college, you know. <laughs> But that and like drinking at the springs of living water is I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, right? So put it in the minor key. Now, you can't do that. I understand, believe me, I, I, I understand. Well, why don't we do it that way? Well, you have to, it, you can't put it in the hymn book that way, right? You can't, unless you did a whole nother arrangement, and then you're not really doing the purpose of a hymn book. So it's not that I'm blaming people or anything. I just think uh, adding those little interesting things kind of helps sometimes. First Samuel chapter 14, if you're turning there with me tonight. I see my son refreshed the CDs I'm talking about, so I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, I, uh, let's see here. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention is Meeting in the Air. I was just talking about my dad, so this is nice. Uh, my dad uh, grew up in mid-Michigan uh, and uh, uh, really spent so much of his time on saxophone. That's his main instrument as well as piano. And um, got two degrees in saxophone, actually. And uh, when he got saved, he turned uh, not just the goal of what he was doing, but he actually altered the style of what he was doing to match sacred lyrics. And so I know I'm biased. Listen, I know I'm biased. He's my dad. But you're not going to hear a saxophone tone like my dad's tone uh, ever. I mean, it's just, it's not heard. It sounds so sweet. It's almost like an oboe. It's just pretty amazing. And I know, I know I'm biased, but you can check it out online. Go on YouTube, check it out. Uh, I was able to record two CDs of my dad playing saxophone, and he does the same thing with saxophones that I do with voice, like doubling it over and over. So he's got saxophone quartets on here as well, with him playing soprano, alto, tenor, baritone saxophone. So it's called Meeting in the Air, and that's on our back table. And then I'll talk about this one, Acapella Refuge, which is my third all acapella CD, is on the back table there. And uh, if any of our music would be a blessing to you, that would rejoice our hearts. Uh, we did have to raise our prices for the first time in about 15 years, uh, but they're cheaper back there than they are online. So you get a little bit of a deal back there. Everything's going up. We understand that. We've just all got to do it, right? But uh, if we can save you a couple bucks by buying it in person, plus you don't have to pay shipping. So uh, you can do that. I think we've got a deal going out. Buy three, you get a price break and such. Our goal is to get our music 
into as many homes as would be blessed by it as possible. The last thing I'll mention is I put out the first video of our 50 by 50 campaign where I'm doing 50 acapella songs uh, in, uh, by the time, almost said in 50 years, that's not what it is. By the time I'm 50 years old, and we put out a behind the scenes video where we shot uh, this afternoon actually up on your platform with our equipment. And uh, it's uh, for uh, people who are part of the Patreon or the YouTube membership. You say, I don't understand that, that's okay. If you just go to beniverson.com and you click the big number five, it'll show you everything about it, and uh, we'd love for you to, uh, to check that out. First Samuel chapter number 14, if I didn't tell you that yet, is where we're going to be. If you're physically able to stand tonight, I'd like to ask you to do so. <clears throat> Let's start in verse number one. 1 Samuel 14, verse number 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Skip down to verse 4. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sena. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I want to preach on this topic tonight, how to see God do miracles. How to see God do miracles. Dear Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit tonight. All is vain unless the spirit is in it. And so, Lord, I ask you to fill me, fill uh, each and every person that's here tonight with your spirit so that we might be enlightened through your word and encouraged to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I love this account because it's going to show us really a pattern for how to see God do great things, even miracles. Some person asked me, you know, do you believe uh, a person who believed in the sign gifts, you know, the tongues and, and, and gifts of healing and all that, well, you just don't believe in, in, in miracles anymore. You don't believe God can do miracles. Far from it. I believe that God is still in the healing business. I believe God is still in the miracle working business. I just don't think he gives somebody the gift of healing where they can go around and heal everybody at will. Because if, if he did do that, I'd like to see them go through some of our hospitals. Amen? Instead of having these big uh, you know, meetings where everyone's got to come to them and, and pay money, etc. <laughs> Sometimes I'd like to see that. No, God is still in the miracle business, if I can put it that way. He still does miracles. This passage, although it's Old Testament, sets up for us a template on how to do that. So three steps, I believe, needs to be, that need to be in our lives if we want to see God do incredible things. First of all, we need to have a big view of God. In fact, if you want to put it this way, see a big God. <laughs> see a big God. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Hey, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. See, Jonathan had a big view of God, didn't he? That's what gave him 
the boldness in the first place to think that God could actually do something. Of course, the Israelites and, and the Philistines are in another one of their battles. They were, you know, uh, uh, nemesis, right, of each other. And they're always having battles back and forth and all this. And we've kind of reached a stalemate here. And King Saul, who should have been doing something, is just chilling out under a pomegranate tree with his own personal guard. And, uh, and he's not really interested in doing much right now. After all, he's safe. And, uh, but Jonathan's not satisfied with that. Uh, I believe it's uh, A.W. Tozer would call that a holy dissatisfaction. You know, we, I believe that we need more Christians with a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo. Not a dissatisfaction or discontent with the things God has given us, but rather a dissatisfaction with the status quo of our spiritual lives. You know, I, I really believe that God still, as, as, it's, as we find elsewhere, His eyes are looking to and fro over the whole earth. Why? He's looking for someone to show Himself strong on their behalf. See, God, He's our Heavenly Father and and he loves to show his children how strong he is. I remember when my kids were little, and uh, I, I, I liked doing things that, you know, made them marvel, you know, pick them up this way, that way, you know, stuff like that. My, my daughter would ask me, can you pick up the trailer? Our fifth wheel, right? And my answer was, well, I don't want to pick up the trailer. Of course, as they get older, they learn the limits of human strength and such. But uh, a dad loves to, to show his kids that he can protect them. He can provide for them. You know, we have a heavenly father that's the same way, only much more so. He loves to show how strong he is to his children. The question is, do we ever put him to the test? Do we ever give him, so to speak, an opportunity to show him how big he is? To show us how big he is? Because Jonathan, if he would have just said, you know what, it's such a difficult situation, I don't think God can even work in this situation. Well, then the story would end there. The account would end there. But no, he says there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So my question for you, my friends, tonight is this. How big is your God? How big is your God? We're not live streaming tonight, so I'll be a little freer with my illustrations that I'm cautious about putting online, okay? Because some of them I can't say, or I just choose not to, to, so it doesn't go online. But I would have never thought that a company as big as Twitter would be sold by a left-leaning company and bought out by someone who was very much the opposite of that. It's not that I agree with everything everybody says. Please, standard, what is that? Uh, thank you. Disclaimers apply. Right? And I'm not a political speaker, okay? But what I'm saying is that was a huge shock to me. I never would have, if you would have asked me that five years ago, I would say there's no way that will happen. There's some people in my life and maybe even public circles that have trusted Christ that I never thought would. Let me give you an illustration here, and this, is, this one's a sad illustration, but maybe you'll understand where I'm coming from. I was driving up to Minneapolis a few years ago, and I heard on the radio that a musician by the name of Prince had passed away. I'm not a Prince fan. I don't listen to Prince's music, but 
I understood that that was a cultural moment. And I happened to be driving up to Minneapolis the day of his funeral. <laughs> so when I posted something about it, it was kind of funny because as I'm driving up to Minneapolis, I was thinking about this, about Prince, what I'm about to tell you. And some people were saying, are you going to the funeral? <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> That's, I was going for a week of meetings. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Prince, for the last few years of his life, was actually a Jehovah's Witness. And that surprised me. In fact, he did the things Jehovah's Witnesses were supposed to do. He went door to door. Now, as a celebrity of his stature, that was a dangerous thing to do. Although I have to think in my mind how humorous it would be to watch that. Someone comes to their, you know, Saturday morning or whatever it is, they come to the door in their bathrobe or whatever, you know, kind of with their hair like this. Oh, yes, yes, hi, we're from Jehovah's, you know, we're from the, whatever, the, the Kingdom Hall or whatever. You know, uh, who, uh, wow, you look familiar, right? That would be humorous. But I started thinking to myself something. Obviously, this man who had success in the eyes of the world was spiritually empty. And he was looking for something that would fill that emptiness. And how tragic it is that the Jehovah's Witnesses found him. But you know what I was thinking to myself? I wish someone could have been there to share the good news of the truth with him. Now listen, God is bigger than our understandings. Maybe he did come across the truth and rejected it. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, uh, don't ever limit God. And there are some celebrities, who knows if they're saved or not, I don't know. I will say this, I believe that some of them, because I've talked to some of the pastors of the people who have gotten saved and people doubt it, do they get saved or not? And some of the people that you might think, well, that can't be true. I think it's true, but they're not grounded. See, what happens is a celebrity, when they get saved, then all of a sudden it's like they are expected to become the spokesperson for Christianity. And they, you know, they're a newborn kid, a newborn baby. They don't know. So they just answer things the best they can, and sometimes they get themselves in trouble. Some of them, I know, are just uh, trying to get more popularity. I know that. How do we know? Guess what? It's not our job. Now, we can, uh, we can be discerning. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'll say this. Never think that it's too hard for God to save somebody. You never know. I, I have personal experience. I, I didn't know if my grandfather would ever get saved because it was like he was such a good man. You know, it's like, would he ever, ever admit that he was a sinner? I mean, yeah, he trusted Christ just a few days before he passed away. That's a miracle. Maybe you've got someone in your life you're praying for, but it's almost like I don't see that ever happening. Listen, don't limit God. I, can, I, couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't imagine the, uh, uh, that uh, Roe versus Wade would ever be overturned. I never thought that would happen. I know, that's not the end of the story. I know that. In fact, it's on my mind somewhat because of Friday night's concert, you know? So many young ladies in need of help, and now here in our own state, it's actually gotten darker, not lighter, because of, what, because of the ruling, right? I understand that. But if you start thinking, of how big is God? There's nothing that he can't do. God can send a great awakening to our country again. He's done it before. He could do it again. How big is God? How big is your God? Hmm. 
You know, the Lord has ways of reminding us how big he can be. I remember when our second trailer had a crack, our second fifth wheel. Well, we had a bumper pull first. Well, it wasn't a bumper pull, but a, a regular trailer. And then a fifth wheel. And that one, that fifth wheel, had a crack, went right through. You could look through in the, in the bedroom and just look right outside. And so, of course, as soon as that happened, we, we ended up upside down on the loan. We still owed 21000 I think. And it was worth about five. And I had no clue where we were going to get another one. I didn't have the finances to do it. I wasn't in a position to do it. I just want to let you know, folks, you probably already guessed, but banks, uh, dealing with evangelists on the road, getting luxury items like fifth wheels, they don't have a box in their computer for faith or God. It's not on the computer, all right? Plus, how you get your income is not accepted. So I had no idea what we were going to do. We just prayed about it. In fact, we were out in Washington State. I'll never forget. Brandon, I don't know if you remember this or not because you were really young, but we found a trailer. My wife's great at doing research. She found a fifth-wheel trailer that was just what we needed. And uh, so we went and saw it in Washington State. We were there for some meetings anyway, and we knelt in a circle in that trailer we were looking at, and we said, Lord, would you provide this exact model of trailer for us? Well, we went down to Mexico on a missions trip slash see mom's home country. And while we were down there, just a few days before we were supposed to come back, I didn't know what, to, we, what were we coming back to. I didn't know. How am I going to do anything? And I got a phone call from a man in a church who owned a business, and he said, hey, I heard you're having trailer trouble. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, the Lord's put on my heart to help you. I said, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. He said, yes, how much do you owe on your current trailer? I told him, he said, okay, I'll have a check in the mail tomorrow for $21,000. He didn't stop there. That would have been amazing in and of itself, but he said, I also want to make it possible for you to purchase your next trailer. Now, normally, I'm not a big co-signing guy, all right, I'd like to own it myself and all that type of stuff. In this situation, when he said, you know what, me and my business, we're going to stand behind you so that you have the credit to get another fifth wheel, I readily accepted. I said, let me pray about it. Yes, sir. <laughs> and so we were able to get uh, about a $55,000, fifth wheel at that time. Now, it would be worth about one twenty now with the way inflation goes. But you know what? That was our fifth wheel that we lived in that Brandon grew up in. It was his favorite place. And you know what? God got a whole lot bigger in my mind. Why? He's big all the time, but in my view, he, he, he answered in an amazing way. So you know what? Guess what? We've got truck trouble right now. It's inconvenient. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, we love our vehicles because it gives us that sense of independence. We can do what we need to do. We've lived in our vehicles our entire marriage. I mean, not lived in them, but you know what I mean. Maybe you don't. We've never owned a home anywhere. We currently rent, uh, but that's a recent thing. It's always been fifth wheels, or we spent a couple years where we didn't own anything, and we lived in profits chambers and Airbnbs and hotels the entire couple years, which was our kids' favorite time. <laughs> I say all that simply to say, as we're going through uh, car difficulties, it's inconvenient, I will not lie. But it's not the end of the world. 
You know why? Still the same God. I've seen God do bigger things. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, God could, could, could do anything. He can do anything He wants to do. And, and, and I love it because it's His vehicle, right? And, it, and it's, it's so different. Again, I'm not going to lie. It is a headache. It is inconvenient. But God's big. Listen, friends, I wish I could tell you that I'm that way in every aspect of my life. I'm not. But what about you tonight? Is God big to you? Are you praying any impossible prayers? Listen, if we can always pull out our own wallet and answer our own prayers, then how will our faith ever grow? If we're never in a position where we have to be, depend on God, how will we ever grow? See a big God, number one. But moving on, number two, I want you to see this. In his, verse 7, And his armor-bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. What an encouraging friend, right? I know it's his armor-bearer. He's assigned to him. But obviously, this armor-bearer loved Jonathan. He was going to follow him. He was going to be with him. Could preach a whole message on that, really. But look at what Jonathan does. He doesn't just go crashing wildly into the enemy camp. Well, my God's big, so, right? Then he dies. <laughs> you know, like, what? This isn't supposed to happen? My God is big. Yeah, well, no, that's not what happens. What does he do? Then said Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and look, this shall be a sign unto us. First of all, if you want to see God do miracles, you have to see a big God. But secondly, you've got to develop discernment. See, Jonathan comes up with a plan whereby he can know if this is really what God wanted him to do. And this is an important, I don't know if balance is the right word, but it's an important counterpoint to seeing a big God. Yes, we need to see God as big, but we also need to develop discernment as to whether or not this is the will of the Lord. I've known some people that have been I will use the term foolhardy in that they did not get good leading from the Lord and a good interpretation of Scripture. They had faith in the sense that they were like, oh, well, God can do anything, so I'm going to do this thing. Someone could say, oh, I have faith in God. God can protect me if I walked through the middle of the street. Could God protect you walking through the middle of traffic? Yes. Does that mean, kids, <laughs> feel free to answer, that you should walk through the middle of a traffic street. Thank you, good. <laughs> and all the parents are saying, amen. Glad you added that, Brother Ben. No, you got to add discernment in too. That's what he's doing here. He didn't, now understand, they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit and they didn't have the completed Word of God. That's how we find God's will now. But the principle is still the same. They, they stopped, Jonathan said, okay, let's see, let's make sure this is what God wants. See, it's the same pattern. You have not because you ask not, right? That's the first step. You've got to ask. Then you, have, you ask and, have and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. So there's two steps here. And it's not, it's not a cancellation. It's not some kind of fine print whereby God gets out of promise, His promise. No, 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 no. 
It's we see a big God and then we also want to work within his will. Forgive me for using our, our own situation as an illustration, but I mean, it's a great illustration because this is where we are right now. God could plop down a brand new 2023 Ram diesel truck. That's my favorite, Pastor. That's all I'm just saying, all right? That, I, that's my favorite. I love the Cummins diesel. It's just my favorite. Dooley, you know, mega cab. He could do that if he wanted to. But is that what he wants for us? I don't know. I wouldn't mind if he did. But maybe he wants us to finish paying off the vehicle that we have and drive that. And he's going to work through that. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's can God do this? Yes. But what is his will also? It's both at the same time. They're not arguing against each other. Now listen, you can always know that it's God's will for someone to be saved. You can pray for anyone to be saved. They still have a free will. They've got to, they've got to respond. We can't get saved for someone, right? That Paul uh, uh, expresses that, that he himself would actually suffer hell if his kinsmen, my, bro- my brethren according to the flesh, would be saved. Uh, we can't get saved for someone else, but listen, you can pray for anyone to be saved. Is it God's will that he send a great awakening to the United States? I pray that it is. But of course, God's well within his rights to leave us to our own devices. And that's the most terrible thing that could happen is the Romans chapter 1, right? God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over. So developing discernment, and this is the one quality, the one characteristic I think the American church lacks the most, is discernment. And it's from the little things. I mean, oh yeah, I'm not live streaming. I can actually say some of the things that I wouldn't say if I were live streaming. (laughs) Thank you, because, you know, not that I'm going to cause trouble, but let's just think about a few things when we're talking about discernment. In the United States, we're very commercialized. We put everything, we think everything is appropriate material to make a commercial out of, right? Um, Not every topic is proper to be made into a commercial. In fact, the Bible calls that profaning something. When you take something that's supposed to be sacred, which means set apart, and you bring that down to a common level, that's the definition of profane or profanity. That's what makes profanity wrong, is you're taking something sacred and holy, like the name of Jesus, and you're bringing it down to a common level, like street language. That's the, that's the real definition of profaning. That's why the Bible says, they have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the clean and the unclean. So I'm very sensitive, friends. You won't find me, I know, here's some mild ones. All right, and uh, if you have a different opinion, this is my opinion, okay? Opinion alert. Ding, 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 ding. But uh, I've seen ones that, uh, uh, here's a cartoon. I've seen with the Hulk, Spider-Man, Thor, the old comic version of Thor, sitting around with Jesus. And Jesus is saying in the caption, and that's how I saved the world. How many of you have seen that? All right, some of you are nervous <laughs> to raise your hand. Okay, I'm not trying to trap you. I've seen that many times, and people put it on shirts and, shirts and stuff. And they think, oh, this is a great idea. It's a bad idea. The reason it's a bad idea is it's putting Jesus Christ on the same level as the Incredible Hulk. 
Now, I don't have a problem with the Incredible Hulk. I liked Lou Ferrigno on reruns, okay? I won't ask for an amen, but you know what I'm saying, right? I grew up with that, right? Uh, Lou Ferrigno or even the modern ones, you all have your different opinions and where you put your standards. I totally understand that. That's entertainment. Spider-Man, all that stuff. I don't believe it's automatically sinful is what I'm saying. That's a good way to put it. But when you put Jesus in with them, I believe it's blasphemy, at least right up against it. But how many people in this world, Christians, will think that's totally appropriate? Well, they don't have any discernment. I've seen worse ones. I've seen one, instead of Budweiser, it's Godweiser. This blood's for you. Now, if you want to get my blood boiling, that'll do it. Because now you're really, I believe, profaning the holy name of God. That is an example of the lack of discernment that we have in your average American church. We could go on and on. I don't even like the ones that say, got Jesus. Now, maybe you've got one of those on your car. You're not offending me. You're not causing me to sin. By the way, that's the real definition of offense. It's not to make someone feel bad or, or whatever. It's to cause someone to stumble. You're not going to cause me to stumble. If, that, if you feel okay with that, it's between you and the Lord, okay? But I'm just really careful about that kind of stuff. Listen, I'll even go one step farther. If you were to examine the music that I listen to, which I don't put out there because you're not the Holy Spirit and you don't have to tell me what you listen to. But some people are surprised that over 50% of the music that I listen to is not sacred in nature. <gasps> Brother Ben, I thought you only listened to hymns. No, I believe in keeping what's sacred, sacred. And I also like to play basketball. What does that have to do with anything? Okay, I both act and dress differently when I'm playing basketball than when I'm uh, worshiping the Lord in church. And I think that's appropriate, right? So I will listen, let me give you, I'll give you a few examples since I made you curious, all right? I love barbershop quartet music. How many of you know what barbershop quartet music is, right? Now, they can sing some sacred hymns, but most of it's entertainment stuff. A little slice of it isn't appropriate because of the, uh, um, the, the subject matter, okay? If they're singing about running around with somebody, well, then I'm not going to listen to that, Right? But if it's singing, uh, baby face, you got the cutest little baby face, right? I've recorded that. Acapella version. It's entertainment. It's fun. It's, uh, the most recent one I did was the Candyman from uh, the original Willy Wonka, right? That's entertainment. And I think what happens sometimes is some parents, I'm really on a detour, brother. Okay, we're coming home though, all right? We're rounding the bases. We're rounding the bases, all right? But I think sometimes parents, Christian parents actually do more harm than good when they're trying to, you know, put good fences up for their kids by saying, well, no, it all has to be Christian music because kids, well, all of us will want to find entertainment somewhere. So then they try to find it in Christian music. And now you're at odd purposes because, okay, entertainment plus the gospel. Oh. Now listen, the music that I sing, I want it to be interesting and I want it to be creative that I've sung this week, etc. But if it's just entertaining, then I haven't hit my goal. Uh, then, I, then I've really not done a good job. If, if someone comes across my sacred music and that's all they think, oh, that's entertaining. Mm. I don't feel like I've done a good job. But, uh, but my parents did a good job with us as kids. They taught us the difference between the sacred and the secular. And I understand that word secular can have multiple meanings. But I simply know that, listen, if I want to go entertained with, be entertained with music, I don't turn to sacred worship music to be entertained. 
right? I'll go to, you know, I'll listen to Boston Pops, John Williams. I'll listen to scores from movies, you know? Uh, my favorite of all time is the Superman theme, John Williams. I think it's the greatest piece of, you know, uh, uh, modern symphony ever written. Dun, 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 I love it. Oh, so great. I think God has given us a bunch of stuff that we can enjoy that's not necessarily sacred in nature. Now, nothing should be immoral. It's like any other part of life. Uh, you can play basketball and you wear basketball apparel, but you don't wear immodest apparel, right? Uh, I can make jokes about Walmart apparel, but I just won't go there. <laughs> but what's the, we're really, I mean, it might feel like we're off track, but really we're talking about discernment. So it all kind of relates. You, you got to stand before the Lord for discernment and it takes exercise, right? Hebrews tells us by reason, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. That word exercise is that word we get gymnasium from. It means to work out. You don't just wake up one day and have discernment. Can't take a discernment pill. <laughs> you have to work on it. Very quickly, let's, let's hit the last one because we can't leave it unfinished. If you want to see God do great things, see a big God, number one. Develop discernment, number two. And number three, get ready to work. Get ready to work. Look at what it says. Verse 11. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. Hmm. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know what they're doing there, right? Do any of you have siblings? All right. I'm the oldest of five. It's me, then a sister, then three brothers. And my brothers never learned that when I said, hey, come here, I want to show you something. <laughs> yeah, you know, that I'm probably going to torture them in some form. Now, I will admit, I was a pretty good big brother. My forms of torture were pretty mild. I would, you know, I'd pin my next brother down uh, and I would make him listen to girly music, okay, because we're a music family, right? So I would make him listen to Disney princess music. Uh, and I would say, oh, ho, 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 you're listening to girly music, right? That, that was the extent of, of that. But in a musician's home like ours, that was just the end of it. I mean, that was the end of the road. How could you, how could you do that? He's scarred for life. But come here, we'll show you something. That's what they're saying, right? Well, verse 12, and the men of the garrison, I'm sorry, halfway through. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Here it is. And Jonathan climbed up, you see that, upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. The, the passage here takes a few moments, and we read some of it, about how they're situated. And Jonathan had to fight uphill again to get to the top to fight the enemy. That's a whole lot harder than being on the top of the hill and being able to fight the people coming up. Remember that game, King of the Mountain? We used to play that. I remember the, some of the greatest memories was in, when I was in sixth grade and we had a guy teacher, a man teacher for sixth grade and he would let us play rougher at recess than the other teachers would, right? And they brought in a huge pile of wood chips that were going to eventually go in the back for the uh, playground, but they brought in, they set them in the front in the parking lot, 
at Calvary Baptist Academy, and I will never forget, we started playing King of the Mountain on that thing. And it's a cement parking lot, right? I don't know if he got in trouble for this or not, but it only lasted two recesses <laughs> because we would get to the top. I got to the top once or twice. I, was, I know it's hard to imagine, but in sixth grade, I was this tall, but I was kind of scrawny. I know it's really hard to imagine. All right, I didn't get this till I started traveling, <laughs> okay? But uh, I did get to the top a few times, but let me tell you, it was a whole lot easier to push everybody else down and, uh, than it was to be the one fighting to get up think after some bashed teeth and a broken arm, they put a stop to it. <laughs> but look, Jonathan wasn't afraid of the hard work necessary. It wasn't handed to him on a silver platter. It wasn't saying, okay, God can do it. Yes, he wants it to happen. So, okay, well, then I can just kick back. He wasn't like that, was he? He was saying, listen, I'm ready. God can do this, but I still play a part. God wants me to do this, but I still have responsibility. And you know what, friends? I think sometimes this is where we drop the ball. Sometimes we know God wants to accomplish something. Well, we believe He can, and then we find out He does want it done. But we get afraid of the hard work to do it. Hmm. You know, it's amazing how much more things get accomplished by someone who's actually doing work than someone who just sits and wishes it to happen. And all the mothers said amen. Right? <laughs> or amen, yeah. <laughs> if you were here the other night. You know, as we close this week of meetings, I, I can't help but think maybe this is a good way to close because why pick this message out? Because, well, there's work to be done. There's no other way to put it. And there's not as many of us in our churches overall. I don't know the trajectory of your church, etc. but if you're like the average churches that we're in, there used to be more people than there are now. That ought not bother us as far as what God can do, right? Because there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. But it does mean that each one of us will have to carry the load whatever God gives us to do. And I understand, people are different stages of life. But listen, don't discount. Maybe you say, well, I'm just not in a physical condition to paint the building or whatever you need to do, right? That's not the only work that needs to be done. If we only go forward as much as we pray, I wonder how far we'd go. We need some prayer warriors. Listen, prayer warriors are dying in our churches. They're reaching those ages where they're passing on and being with the Lord. Uh, I haven't asked your pastor, but I, a lot of the pastors I've been talking to, they've been telling me, yeah, I did 20 funerals in the last year. I did 15 funerals uh, since COVID, and they're not all COVID-related, you know? I mean, we're just getting to that point. Who's going to pick up that, who's going to make up that gap, make up that hedge? Maybe that needs to be you. It's exciting here to see different people serving in different ways, even in the short time that we've been here. Keep it up. Amen. Because that's what we need to do. You want to see God do miracles? See a big God. Believe that He can do anything. Develop discernment. Find out exactly what it is he wants us to do. And then three, be ready to work. Let's take his will. He does what he needs to do and we'll do what we need to do. One man put it this way years ago. I, I, I could track down the quotation, I'm sure. 
It was specifically in the context of revival. By the way, revival is not something that can be worked up. It's something that has to be prayed down. In other words, it's, well, he put it this way. He said, it's kind of like seeing God, if you compare God to the wind. The wind's going to blow and accomplish its goal. But we need to set our sails to catch the wind. And I like that. I like that. Why? Because it gives me a truth, a way of understanding truth that I can put handles on and actually live that out in my life. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love the deep theological discussions. Trust me, I, I love it. I really do. I, dispensationalism is my favorite topic, actually, if you want to know the truth. That's, I love dispensationalism. And uh, I, just, I, I love talking about it. I love studying it. And uh, occasionally I'll preach on it. That wasn't the nature of this week. But I love the deep theological issues. But <laughs> sometimes I just need to trust and obey what I already know. <laughs> right? I don't know where this message finds you tonight. Maybe you need to see God as big. Maybe you've been doubting. Maybe you see God as big, but now you've got to develop discernment. Okay, Lord, how do you want me to proceed? Or maybe you're at that third step where it's like, okay, I know God can do it. I know God wants to do X, Y, and Z, but I've got to do my part. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Maybe you're here and say, you know, Brother Ben, I needed that tonight. That message was for me. If that's you tonight, I won't point you out or embarrass you, but if that's you, would you simply slip your hand up and let me pray for you? Amen, amen. Yes, thank you. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. All over. Amen. Yes, thank you. You may put those down. Anyone else? Yes, I see that. Amen. In a moment, we'll have our pianist play through a simple hymn of invitation. We don't believe invitations are magic. They're just opportunities to spend a little time with the Lord in prayer to kind of nail something down right away. But in a moment, I'm going to pray and I'll have a stand to our feet with our heads bowed, eyes closed. If you'd like to do some business with God, I don't encourage you to sit back down where you were seated and just spend some time with Him. I don't know what you're normally accustomed to. If you'd like to come forward and kneel, you're certainly welcome to do so. The important thing is just address that with the Lord and take home what he's taught you here. Dear Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you are big. You work above all that we ask or think. Lord, we want to see you do great and mighty things. Help us to develop discernment and then be ready to do our part, whatever that might be. Hands were lifted tonight. That's just a representation of hearts. Would you work in each and every life tonight, Lord, we ask. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet as the pianist plays through a verse. And let me challenge you, friend. If you need to spend a little time with the Lord, would you just perhaps remain seated as some are doing? Amen, amen. Some are sitting back down, spend some time with the Lord. If that's what you'd like to do, do so right now. Just take that moment just between you and the Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I know it's hometown crowd here tonight, but I never want to take for granted that every person in the sound of my voice has trusted Christ. We'll stick around afterward. Please, come up to one of us, me, my wife, 
Pastor, we'd love to share with you from God's word how you can know your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together this week. Thank you for fellowship and for how good you are. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen this church, Lord. It's a special church. There's no other church like First Baptist here in Sterling Heights. So, Lord, I pray your richest blessings here upon these people. Protect them from the enemy. Give them victories uh, from now until Christmas for sure and into the next year. I'd love to hear. We'd love to hear how you accomplish things uh, through these willing folks. Lord, give us a wonderful evening. Help us to get home safely, we ask in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor?